Welcome, everybody, and welcome those of you listening online to uh, the MPI cohort, our chapel. Um, today is part three of our lesson on the issues plaguing Christian millennials. We've been speaking on the lack of discipleship and how that produces uh, a sub-biblical worldview, even in churches, even among professing Christians. Uh, we've learned about the lack of morals, uh, biblical morals, that is, and we're finding that people in the church agree with people in the world about issues such as sex before marriage, same-sex marriage, abortion, and the like, and they're basically adhering to kind of a worldly narrative, saying a lot of what the world is saying, and it's alarming. And then the lack of biblical doctrines, we see that 96% of Christian millennials reject the exclusive claims of Jesus, literal hell, and the sole authority of the Bible and the role of the church in their lives. So Pastor Joe, our visionary leader who has worked with millennials, I'm a millennial, by the way, Jesus saved me from that, half kidding, um, he has pastored a church of millennials. He has raised leaders in his church out of millennials and has been doing this his whole uh, ministerial life. He's going to speak to uh, how, we, how we minister, how we reach, how we shepherd uh, this fine group of people. Let's give it up for our visionary leader, Joe Y. Rostek. Amen, amen. And if those who watch us live wonder why... Uh, Pastor Jared is here. It's not only to give him a chance to have a face on the Bible college, it's because we have to do some things in the back for the live webcast, and we found out that it was easier if he did it, and then I would transition with him. But he's so nice to always give me that applause right there, and that's great. We want to applaud Pastor Jared. Amen. Let's give him an applause. Awesome. Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is going to be our scripture today. And we want to look at this in light of our um, messages that we've already gone through. This is our last one. I need to uh, find, after I did all of that, there we go. It's working. Okay. So we're going to conclude today, but I need to start with this scripture. I've given so much information before. Uh, we talked primarily in the first week about what a millennial is, what a worldview is, how the stats show us that we're in trouble, and what we need to do to correct it. Uh, got into a, 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 some of the things that we we're talking about today. Now we're going to go into more in depth. Last week we talked more about the worldview, and then specifically talked about political views and cultural, um, you know, things that the church has to address and not be ashamed of. Uh, just for example, putting it in perspective again. The abortion issue is a heaven or hell issue. I believe if you affirm abortion, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's how serious it is to me. And real close to that is putting people into office who affirm abortion. Now, I know there may come a time where we have to choose between two evils and both of them choose abortion. So it's like, uh, let's say we live in a wicked culture and the only two choices we had for president were one's going to kill abort, uh, abort people all terms, and one's only going to abort people for the first couple of weeks, you know? And then you have to choose between them, and it's a, it's a horrible thing. It's like, uh, would you rather have, you know, this many people killed this way or this many people but thank, uh, killed another way? But thankfully, 
uh, sometimes uh, in our politics, maybe not on state levels, but like in presidential races, we've had the, we've had a choice between somebody at least saying, "I don't want to do, ab I don't support abortion," and then someone else clearly saying the other thing, "I I do support abortion." So that that's my primary issue with that, and then also with the sexuality thing, it's it's a new thing for sexuality to be so much in the forefront of politics, and that was really because of the uh, pro-homosexual movement that's been a part of your generation, kind of started in the 70s and 80s, but has really come to the forefront now. And uh, most Christians uh, who keep track with American history and understand the flow of how things work think that the pro-gay agenda is the number one attack against Christian liberties. So it's not just a difference on sexuality, but it affects freedom of speech, and it affects, affects religious beliefs in the workplace, and it affects how uh, we are given a status as churches and nonprofits. Like literally, it is, the, and I would agree with them, the number one issue facing Christian liberty in America. Because now our religious belief has been, has been put into a category of what they would put the the South into, as in racism, like we are we are have been equated with that same uh, narrative now, like we are the Southern plantation owner that just hasn't got it yet and is still using our religion to oppress people, and that is why uh, partnering with African Americans in this realm is very important. We need the multicultural church. And so uh, African American historians, even those who are relatives of Martin Luther King Jr., really need to speak up and we need to share their information on social media going, this is not that cause. This is not a cause of civil rights. This is a cause of uber rights, wanting extra rights. And that's why I love what Bizzle, that rapper, did when he confronted it in a song um, after that other song by Macklemore came out. What was the Macklemore? Same love. And he was like, no, 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 this ain't the same thing. You are not being hung up on trees. You weren't being forced to drink out of this, um, being served out of the side of buildings, different drinking fountains. All that the culture has said is we don't acknowledge that as normative behavior, which, by the way, all Western civilization has agreed with that. So it's not just a difference of well, America's doing X, Y, and Z, and that's just the unique thing about us. Now, we're talking Western civilization, and all successful civilizations in the East and other places have been built upon the pre premise of man, woman, children. If you destroy that component, you destroy the family, you destroy the foundation. So those are the things we talked about last week, and you can see it's so hard for me to even do reviews. I can't even do reviews. This is hard for me because then I can start talking more things about the things I reviewed. And that's why, if you notice, I just went right past that chart. I'm glad uh, Jared read it, and I'm just going right to the Scripture because last week I couldn't get past the chart, and the last thing I said was the Scripture. So now we need to get to the answers. But let me just take a peekaboo right here. Peekaboo, here it is. Here it is. Christian millennials are dealing with these problems. Lack of discipleship, lack of biblical morals, lack of biblical doctrines. What is the solution? The Word of God. The solution is the preaching of the Word of God. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We must feed ourselves the Word of God, meditate on it. And, and as Jared shared a bit of his testimony, all of us were God-haters in some way towards his word until we were regenerated. 
the reason why we have the morality of the Bible is not because we're religious. We have the morality of the Bible because we've met the moral law giver. And that's why when you look at the Bible, it's literally, I mean, come on, these are perfect words for the 21st century. The lost are lost. When you come to Christ, you are found. Do millennials act like lost people if they don't have Jesus? Yes. Are they in darkness, as the Bible says, not even knowing what makes them stumble? Yes, because they have no light of Christ's revelation. Now people may say, well, I think for myself, and I don't need some ancient text to tell me what to believe. Everything you think to yourself and act out is already a product of the culture. It comes from the spirit of the air, the one who is saying that to me. Why are you saying that to me in the language you're speaking and not in the language of somebody in a village in India? You're already expressing your individuality as in conformity to the cultural norms of the language you live or the people that speak the language that you live within. And so we are all being conformed to something. You may break free and come up with creative ideas within those cultural norms, but you still fall under those headings. You're going to be that until you're born again. The only thing that changes the nature of a person is being born again. Otherwise, you are stuck to the conformity of the spirit of this air, as Ephesians says, the thoughts of your culture, and to your own sinful, wicked ways. And so imagine it like this. You have... um, a, a virus uh, uh, that's contagious, and let's say it's even on your hands and it's almost like a tar, everything you touch is infected with that virus and that tar. I was just watching uh, Thor yesterday, The Dark World, the second one with my kids, and there's this ether, um, uh, planetary goo that kind of is in the Spider-Man one as well, the third Spider-Man, that when it gets in you, it affects you and does all of this, and everything you touch is affected by it. Well, that's the same kind of thought. You have this tar infection on your mind, and everything you filter through that mind is infected by that tar, the sinfulness of your nature. It's not until you're born again that you are free from your sinful nature. You are free from the culture. Um, sins. You are free from the blindness of the world you live in. Does everybody understand that? And that's deep, isn't it? That's deep because when you're arguing with people and they're not open to the Holy Spirit, they're literally like the rocky heart of the parable of Jesus. And the word is just bouncing right off them into the mouth of the bird that comes and swoops it away and eats it. It's only the one that opens their heart, even a crack or a little, that the word of God can take root. But if they keep resisting it, you are literally arguing with someone that is blind and you're trying to describe color. You're arguing with a dead person, and you're trying to get them to understand the beauty of life. It is that, that's the example of the scripture. It's that different. So we ought not to think that our our weapons of the warfare we're in, as the Bible says, are going to be natural weapons. We're not going to win the worldview argument for Christian, uh, for millennials, just because we have better YouTube videos, though I think they should be better, just because we rap better. That won't do it. It has to be infused with the Word of God, because that's what pulls down the arguments, the things that they lift up above the knowledge of God. And the Bible says, our weapons are mighty for the tearing down of those strongholds. 
That's why, uh, yes, uh, last week when I was at Wright College, one of the most funniest times I've been out there. It was very intense, but it was very funny as I think back on it. Uh, Julian was there. I mean, um, Julie was there. So we're talking to people, and we talked to an urban dude. And I don't want to say, like, he's running the streets or anything because it looks like he's making moves at, at, at Wright College. But he's definitely an urban Latino young man. Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, there is no, like, like thing. You're going to get where I'm saying this, but there's no thing about him that would make us intimidating to him, okay? So we come up to express the gospel to him, and I know I haven't got to the scripture, and Lord, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. And so we're going to go express the gospel to him, and he says, well, you know, I'm not religious. And we're like, that's awesome, because neither are we. We want to talk about God. And we start talking to him about God, and instantly he starts throwing out these arguments. Well, you know, I don't believe that because the Bible was written by men. And instantly then I say to him, is like, oh, he said the Bible had mistakes or something like that. And I said, well, who told you that? And he goes, oh, the, the Internet. And I said, you believe everything you read on the Internet? Who told you to think that, you know? And everything he was saying back to me, I just wanted him to, to be confronted with his worldview. So everything he was saying to me, I was like, who told you that? Why would you believe that? That, that, that shouldn't be believed. And it got to the point where I could tell that he was uncomfortable. But then we had a snowflake professor Come to his rescue. The first time you'll ever see an Anglo white middle class guy come to have to rescue an urban youth in Chicago. And he's like, excuse me, I think you're harassing him. You guys just need to go. And I'm like, we're not harassing him. He can tell us to leave at any time. And he's like, he's kind of like shaking his head like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And then I look back at the guy and I'm like, we're good. And he's like, well, you shouldn't even be out here. And I'm like, we can be out here. It's freedom of speech. And then he said one other thing to me. And I go, you're a wimp. I go, you are a wimp. And I wish I would have used the word snowflake or coward because coward is the real biblical word for wimp. And then snowflake is a cultural word that people would understand. Literally, he wanted to defend this young man's safe space because the young man's worldview was getting crushed and rocked right in front of him. If we would have been talking about anything else, if two Latino young men, it didn't have to be just Latino, but you know I love my gente, you know. If any urban youth would have been there arguing, oh, man, blank this about that rapper, blank, and they would have been arguing about sport teams, blank this, that white professor would have just been, oh, he would have not said anything. But because we are the Christians, the lambs that come out, right, the lambs, they know that we are not going to be hostile with them. So he comes into this environment thinking he's going to rescue, rescue this young man. And then I have to remind this guy of freedom of speech. And I love it now because most of the millennials don't have grandparents like mine because I'm on the older spectrum of millennials. I said, my grandparents fought in World War II, sir, so I could have freedom of speech. It's how it works. And I wish I have a lot more comebacks now, but I would probably have said this to him. I bet you loved your freedom of speech when you were protesting in front of the Trump Tower, but now you're getting melted right here by some biblical Christians. You know, so the idea is, is that there is a confrontation, but it doesn't have to be that intense. But what I thought was, like I said, what I thought was so funny about that is that this generation doesn't know what they don't know. 
and you have to take it to them. And nine times out of ten, we're just gently loving and kind. And even then, we were kind. I was trying to dap the young guy. You know, there was no animosity, you know, nothing uh, rude to him at all. Um, and it was so funny because when my, my wife said it too, and I, and I actually said it back to the guy. But uh, he was like, you're harassing him, you're harassing him. And I'm like, by definition, you're harassing me. I never even asked you into this conversation, you know, but I never told him he had to go. But none of those people ever told us they have to go. And when they tell us you have to go, or they don't want to talk to you, you don't have to talk to them. But you can get some space between you and them and start street preaching, amen? You can't, you know, scream in front of them, but I liked, and he noticed it too. I stepped back about two or three steps, and I just started preaching them because it got chaotic, you know, because there were some girls over there going, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus say? You know how people all jump in that, you know, like, we're going to beat up the Christians now. You know how it goes. You know you wish you were there too. Pull out your phone. And I was like, Jesus would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what Jesus would say, you know, but the idea is we're literally in a generation where we're talking to people that are so outside of the biblical worldview that our weapons have to be the word of God to tear that worldview down. It can't be, you know, um, just uh, anger or, or holding up signs that say we hate them or, you know, like those people do that. But the idea is let the Word of God do what it does. And I'm looking forward to going out there today because I would love to see some of those people again because we're building those relationships. And, um, Yuli, were you there the first time that I met Arby, the Muslim young guy? Yeah, the, he was the first, the, one of the first that came to us from street preaching, and he had the same kind of arguments, you know? Like, what are you guys talking about? I don't believe this. And we just busted it down one after another after another until now the distraction, the barrier is removed of a false worldview, and now they can hear a worldview that is not like what they think. It's different than what they think. God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than yours than the heavens are to the earth, and my ways are not your ways. And, and once again, we want to do this respectfully. So if I see that professor this time, I'm going to really speak to him very calmly. I want him to know that I'm not angry with him, even though I was describing his behavior with the name, and Jesus did that oftentimes as well, blind fools and all that, and foxes and all that. But listen, no, I want to be very calm with him. This is what I want to say. I will pay you $100 to meet me in one of these rooms on your campus for a debate. I will pay you $100 equal time. We will respect your time. We won't interrupt you, and I'll pay you to be there. Just come into a public place where you can handle this and deal with it right there because you know what? They look like they have arguments to say as they're getting onto the bus. Well, what about, well, who wrote your Bible then? It's got mistake, you know. As they get into the bus, they love to do that kind of stuff. But I'm like, just meet me right here in class 101, whatever that class is. Meet me right there. I'll pay you $100. That's all that I ask is that you show up, we split the time fairly, and I get to record it. That's all that I ask. And we will do it. And we will let people begin to hear that worldview rocked over and over and over again, because it's the Word of God. And just, and just go back to the Bible. What are the methods of the apostles in the book of Acts? And, and, I, and I love the way that Ray Comfort and a lot of other ministers have said it. When, when they encounter the proud, they bring forth the law of God to humble them. 
when they meet the humble and the broken and the downcast, they bring the message of the grace and the forgiveness and the love. Now, grace still comes through the preaching and the rebuking of their sin, but it's just that kind of mindset, you know? So, so you go to that poor beggar, and you, you go, Jesus loves you. You've been forsaken by your culture, but he loves you. So like going to India and the untouchables and seeing how they use their bathroom in the same area they get their drinking water from. It's just so sad, man. It's open sewage right there. And they have to bathe in these, in these lakes and these rivers where they put dead bodies, man. It's just sad, bro. It's sad. And, and, and the beggars, and they're just, oh, they're all over. I've never seen leper, le- leprous people, you know, until I went to India. Well, we go to them, you know. Jesus loves you. you. You've been rejected by your religion because of their karmic belief that they think you were cursed from your former life and you've been born sick, and that's why you must beg and be humbled now for this lifetime, forsaken by society, in other words, to suffer so in the next life you can come back better. So we're going to be good Hindus and forsake you and make sure you get your time out, you know. But it's the Christians who come to them and go, no, we love you. Come to our orphanage. Come to our homes. Come to our places. You know, we're going to have a lot of guest speakers this summer. I'm very excited about what God's going to do. Also put this on our notes, uh, possibly putting in yard signs, the ones that would be like for politicians, inviting people to our church all this summer so that people in the city can put those out. I see them all over my neighborhood with Willow Creek, and I'm like, oh, I got you guys. All right. All right. I'll get a little something from Willow out here because I always see their little yard signs. I'm like, we need to do that in the city. Well, anyways, we're going to have Tisa and Jean with us from Heidi Baker's ministry. They're going to bring the boom shakalaka, the joy of the Father, our identity in Christ. They're just amazing couple. We're also, Lord willing, going to have Pastor Grogan. I'm working out those details and uh, working out a few more details with a few other people. But the, the long story short is, is that the church needs to be the voice of hope to the hopeless. But it needs to be the voice of judgment to the proud. You know, look at Jesus as he's going back and forth to different circles. Now, generally, the religious people of Jesus' day are the proud ones, so he's reminding them of judgment, how often they fail. And generally, it's the outcasts who are getting the rebukes. But it's not only to the religious people that Jesus gives his rebukes. He gives it to all kinds of people, even his own people. He calls them Satan, you know, uh, Peter. So open rebuke is better than hidden love. That's what the Bible says, and we need to remember that when we're with this generation is that... Uh, me not agreeing with you and telling you actually what the Bible says is a better representation of love than me having a disagreement with you but never telling you it, and that disagreement can result in your eternal damnation. So, like, uh, next um, series, I don't know if we have time this year. I might start at the beginning of next year, but I'm just going to pray through it. Probably not. When's the last Monday? How many Mondays we have left? No, I can't do it. So maybe Lord willing, we'll do it beginning of next year. And that is answering the objections to our faith, giving you guys a lot of those one-liners, having the ideas in your heart already so you can share it with people. But anyways, here, here's one of those phrases you just want to put into your heart. Uh, um, open rebuke is better than hidden love. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. And even um, Penn and Gillette, is it, I think it's Penn who made the video, that, that a Christian came up to him at the end of one of his performances, gave him a Gideon Bible, preached the gospel to him, heaven and hell, made himself available by putting his number in there. And he said, that is a real Christian. And atheist, which he is, he, and he mocks Christians as well, but he really respected that guy. And he makes a whole Facebook video, and he was very clear on this. Atheists should not be mad at them, which would include us. Do not be mad at them because they actually believe you're going to hell. 
If they believed you were, and that's his point in the video, you can look it up. If you, as a nominal Christian, in other words, is what he's saying, believe in hell, and you're not telling us, that means you're not a good Christian. He says, at least this guy is telling me what he believes. I mean, now from that point on, we may have disagreements with him, but, but the bottom line is there's, there's a common sense there. It's like, if my fellow man really believed, let's talk about transgender issues for a minute. If my fellow man really believed that the creator gave us the code for success and sexuality and family and human flourishing, ought that person to tell me that? Ought they at least to offer their counsel to me? In California, they want to make it, if they have not already, illegal for pastors to counsel transgender or homosexual children and give them the biblical point of view. Now, that may not be in churches, but it may be in state-sanctioned agencies. You know, maybe if you're doing foster care or you're working in social work. I don't know where the line is drawn because I think that would go against freedom of religion. But I know those things are already being pushed there. And it's like, come on, what are you guys afraid of? And then they put on to us, they put on to us the suicide rate of the people that are in that community. My friend, nothing has changed over the last 10 to 15 years with the acceptance of these things. That rate is still the same. Nothing changes in the rate after they get surgeries or after they get married or have successful lifestyles. Depression is prevalent in this community because of those factors. Just as unrelated to sexuality, depression is prevalent around the military. There are different things that happen and bring mental anguish, and the church should be able to present their solution, which, by the way, has worked well for many people's lives. But those are then the testimonies they want to discount and silence them. So God forbid you ever come from a transgender background or you come from a gay or lesbian background and actually say the biblical advice worked. They'll now say you're lying, you're in denial, you're suppressing who you really are. And you see, once again, it's a battle of not even, as we're getting back to that professor thing, it's not even a battle of two worldviews. It's one worldview being intolerant of the other and shutting it down. Basically saying, don't even talk to this young man. Don't you talk to him? Don't you ask him to prove what he found on Google? In front of a university or a college, the guy, the professor is saying, don't ask him to prove what he believes. Is that what you do when he writes his paper? He can just spout off whatever he says the internet says? Or do you have to source things? See, I love when truth exposes lies. If the truth isn't setting you free, it's making you mad. You may be ignoring it, but if you really deal with truth honestly, it's either going to set you free or it's going to make you mad. And those who um, take the time to understand the truth, the Spirit of God is there and will enlighten them. I have, um, uh, in, over the years, done less long, drawn-out arguments, though I still get involved in them if it's fruitful, but less uh, intense Internet discussions and things like that, and uh, I still share links whenever I can. But I have really done less of that, but yet become more fruitful. Now, that doesn't mean we still don't get into the arguments and discussions. I just know the two different kinds of fools. The Bible says in Proverbs, there is a fool that you ought to respond to him lest he think he's wise in his own eyes. The very next verse says, don't respond to a fool in his folly, lest he think he's wise in his own eyes. 
right there. Those two verses in Proverbs correlate, and it looks like a contradiction. Am I supposed to talk to the fool or not talk to the fool? Well, the question is, what kind of fool are you talking to? And you need to learn to discern, am I throwing my pearls before swine or am I actually talking to somebody? And that's Jesus' words, by the way. Hello. Okay, and that wasn't just for religious people. That was for anybody that don't want to listen to what you have to say. Shake off uh, the dust, move on. Your hands are clean, okay? Uh, But this is the idea is, am I talking to a person that doesn't want to hear and they're just wasting my time? And like the pig, they like the mud, and they'll enjoy being in there, and you'll get dirty, and they'll love it. Or am I talking to someone who is using the rationality that God has given them for common dialogue, for common debate or discussion? Now, that is where you have to decide what kind of person you're talking to. And that's the, the heart of the Christian that needs to know, is this, the, is this person being open to what I'm saying? And so now let's just uh, get into the scripture, and then we'll apply learning how to use the word of God as it teaches us here. So this is the answer to the issues of the, the Christian millennial specifically. So I, I just spent a lot of time dealing with the non-Christian millennial. They're outside of Christ. But let's take, for example, the stats as, as what they are. Let's say that there are truly 59, or let's make even 60% of Christians in this generation. They literally claim Christ. They were at church for Easter. Maybe they don't go all the time, but they're not of another religion. This is where they feel an attachment to. If they're going to read any holy book, it's going to be the Bible. And at least we know that's true of 33%. Okay, So that's three out of ten people you'll meet today at that college campus. And, and we're in Chicago with a high percentage, I think, of, uh, of nominal Christians. So I think today when we go out there, we may be as high as six to seven out of ten. Uh, people will say, I'm a Christian. If we were only doing a census, you know, only doing a census, because I've been out there, and most of the time that's what they would identify with, the other 20 to 30 atheists or another religion like Hindu or Muslim. Okay, so that's who we're talking to. How do we address them? Well, this is what the Bible says, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, in verse seven, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and care, careful instruction. So what we need to do is have the diet of the word of God, or we could say the ammunition of the word of God, whatever you want to think you're serving up people, amen. Um, but if we're ever shooting or using the sword, and that's biblical language, right? The Bible is a sword, no different than our guns today. But it's not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. Our anger is not against them. If we do get angry, we need to check our heart. If it is a righteous anger, it gets, it's against the devil and his lies, amen? But we need to be patient. We need to have careful instruction. And I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but I know that with Yuli being with me, he's learning a lot of that careful instruction, right? Being patient with them helping them work through some of those ideas. Uh, the conversation with the young man would have ended fine. I mean, he, he, I think he was getting annoyed towards the end, but would, it would have ended fine if this interruption wouldn't have come from somebody who had absolutely no business in that conversation. But the idea is when we're applying these things, you just want to have the Word of God at your disposal on your phone, you know, in paper, and you want to have a thorough understanding of the different aspects that the generation you're preaching to is experiencing. Then you can individualize it to who they are and what they're going through, okay? So I'm at a college talking to young adults. I'm going to start explaining to them about being born again. Start right there. 
At the point of being born again, I'm going to ask them, have they been born again? Most of the time they haven't or they don't know what it is. And I'm going to explain to them what it means to be born again and then how important it is because unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to show them that in in the words of Jesus. Now I'm going to show them how to be born again. Okay, John 3.3, the need to be born again. John 3.16, how to be born again. By faith in Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I will then remind them that if they are not born again, what happens to them? They're going to perish. Can you go and spend eternity with Jesus without being born again? No, not according to him. So if you're not born again right now by default, because there's no in-between, born again or not, by default, what's going to happen to you? Going to hell. Going to perish. It's already upon you. You can read through John 3.16 onwards. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world, for the world was condemned already. So you were condemned without being born again before I even came to you. I'm just letting you know, not judging you on my judgment. Judge Judy is not here. Judge Joe is not here. Judge Father has already told you the judgment. This is the judgment. It's been handed down since Adam and Eve. Can I get an amen? And Jesus came to take the judgment for us and to give us the new covenant in him being born again. So it's that simple. Now at this point, with most people, they don't think they need to be born again. The connection doesn't happen naturally. They'll, they'll instantly go, well, that's just your interpretation. So you now need to walk them through that and go, there's not really any misinterpretation here. I mean, you can go look at the original languages. I have it here on my phone. You can take it any way you want. I mean, this is pretty much the way it is. You can show them Revelation, how people are going to go to hell. You can show them the New Testament, how people get to go to heaven. And then at that point, they have to make their decision. And then you can walk them through the sins that they may be dealing with, the idols in their heart, because uh, it's like your heart is an idol factory without Jesus, and you make all of these little idols, and you make those your God, and you show them that these are deceiving them. Their selfish ambition is deceiving them. Their sexuality is deceiving them. Their love for money and popularity and fame and whatever is deceiving them. Their anger is deceiving them. Their hurt is deceiving them, the idol of hurt, right? As terrible as hurt is, sometimes people make hurt their idol, and they will not stop bowing down to it and letting that uh, make their life revolve around it. Okay? Now, they accept Christ. Well, moment one, if you have preached to them like that, the Christian millennial is a leg up for most of what we're hearing in today's churches. Remember we addressed that in the first lesson, that today's churches oftentimes aren't preaching the gospel like that. I've just seen some stuff today that was up on Facebook. Um, I'm not sure of this, but I'll, so I won't name the names of this popular Christian worship group, but uh, somebody said they go to their, they went to their concerts and now decided to stop going because they purposely used the word mistake instead of sin, and they don't mention hell in the preaching, but only that God will give you heaven. And this is preaching outside of Jesus. Jesus didn't preach only heaven. Jesus, in John 3, 16, the verse that we all love says, do it or you will perish. Do this so you won't perish. You, you cannot just say you're coming for an upgrade. Like, you know, my house is pretty cool right now. But it could use some upgrades, right? It could use some nice lighting, some surround sounds, home theater. But it's still a pretty good house. This is not the the way to to, to share Christianity with people. Christianity is not an upgrade for good people, to become better people. Christianity is the only hope of salvation for everyone on their way to hell. The house is on fire. You just don't realize it yet, right? 
And um, I love the way Jonathan Edwards describes it in Sinners in the Hand of the Angry God. You are hanging by the strand of a spider web right now, and judgment is coming your way. And once you fall under the hand of God, no one will save you. And any good work you try to have to stop your descent into hell will be just like air passing through your fingers. Nothing will be able to be grasped onto. He had a way with words. And that picture there terrifies us when we think about facing eternity and judgment without God. And so uh, we share that with them. Okay, so they receive this kind of message, the gospel as Jesus presented it. Now we're already a leg up, aren't we? Now we're already a leg up because now the gospel's been presented. We can begin to bring discipleship. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 and onward. Go into all the world and make disciples of the nations, teaching and, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So everything Jesus commanded us, we now have to teach them. So that's part of this, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and encouraging. We've taught them about salvation. We've rebuked their sin. We've, you know, corrected maybe some things in their life. And now we're going to the discipleship process if they've received it. Now we're going to teach them what it looks like to be a Christian. What does it look like to be like Christ? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What things should we stop doing? So teaching is obvious. We're going to explain things to them. Rebuking means to tell people to stop things. Correction is helping guide people around the right path. It's a less intense term than rebuking, and it's something that should be done so that you don't get rebuked. And then training is helping people to do the right thing that you're teaching them to do. And then the in, uh, encouraging is giving them that, that come on, boys as they're doing it. So we'll just take, for example, I've taught you the gospel, you've received it, now you're a follower of Christ. We're going to teach you now how to pray. If you start praying to saints, I'm going to rebuke that. I'm going to be like, no, don't do that. I'm going to then teach you how to pray directly to the Father in Jesus' name. Over time, you may get into a stutter kind of prayer like, Jesus, Jesus, is I pray in the name of Jesus. You know, and we'll just, we'll just correct it. And we'll say, you don't have to keep saying his name. He knows he's, you're talking to him. You know? Just say the Father in the name of Jesus. I come to you. Talk to him. When you talk to me, you're not like, Joe, 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 Joe. I need this from you, Joe. You know? So that would be like a little bit of correction. And then we just train them. We just train them. We say, hey, come and pray with me. Come pr- watch me pray for somebody today at church. Come watch me pray for my kids, right? Someone trained me on how to pray for children. I watched Brother Anthony praying for his children, doing devotions with them, right? And then we're going to encourage them. You're doing great. Your prayer life is growing, isn't it? You know, um, I see you every day, and when I, whenever, whenever I see you, you have something to share from, uh, from your prayer closet that God is speaking to you. That's awesome. Uh, you know, do you feel like you're free from sin? Do you know who you are in Christ? And that's all part of their prayer life. And then that, that, that wheel just keeps on going. And as the disciple that now makes disciples, because every disciple is supposed to go back at the beginning and now make a new disciple, because remember Matthew 28, Jesus is talking to disciples to go make disciples, and then no disciples make disciples. They pass that on to the next person. And so that's how discipleship gets carried on. Well, the same thing now is with biblical morals. Let's say you teach them now about sexuality. God made man and woman to be together in holy matrimony, in a marriage. 
So dealing with the young man. What am I going to say to a young millennial single man? What am I going to say? I'm going to say live pure. Don't sin against yourself. The women will say the same thing to the ladies, you know. We'll talk about pornography. We'll talk about music and shows that corrupt the mind and dull the senses, you know, and bring back the true nature of what it was meant for. And if they are looking at pornography, we're going to rebuke them. A rebuke doesn't have to be, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, you know. No, the rebuke is stronger than a correction because it's actually saying, stop this now. That's what it's, it's going. No, no, no. We don't, you don't want to do that anymore. Let's pray right now that you don't look at it again. And then you could, like for pornography, we're using this as an example. You can tell your testimony, and I'll say mine. I haven't looked at pornography since the fall break of 1996. Haven't looked at it since then. Been free. Not to say I haven't been on a Google search and some boobies pop up, or Lord forgive me for saying a Bible college, but, uh, uh, you know, some breastlessness, maybe that's a better word. I'll just keep moving. But, you know, uh, when the Internet was first coming up, man, the filters were not as good. And I would be Google searching for a sermon, as of all things, and I would be, like, putting in, like, just something simple like love, you know, and all of a sudden, boo, whoop, you know. And you have to shut that down. Now, it's everything but, and I don't want to be discussing here, it's everything but the, the part that children suckle on. Dude, these, these, and it's on Facebook. These people friend request me all the time. And they're just like, you know, putting it all together like this, and they're like in panties. It is nasty, but that's the world we live in, isn't it? And as embarrassed as I am to say that with mixed company, you know I'm not trying to be vulgar here. I'm just trying to be honest. We have to tell people, stop it. Stop accepting those friend requests. You know, don't, don't look at these things, men and women. And then number two, correcting. So that we're using this example now of how to help the millennial Christian. So just like with you guys, I would be talking to you, and let's say one of you said, yeah, man, I'm doing good, haven't looked at porn, haven't had sex with myself and, or my girlfriend. I'm living holy. God is doing good. And then, um, but, but you say, you know, I've been kind of listening to Lil Wayne. You know, I, it's, it's been hard for me to give up my music. I, you know, nobody can rap like Wheezy, you know, Lil Wheezy. That's his nickname, right? Yeah, so it's like no one's like him. I really like him, you know. And then we'll just be like, oh, let's, let's correct this a little bit. Let's find you something that maybe is close enough to that style that you can enjoy. Or just ask God to take that desire from you and die to it. Just die to it because you trying to listen to that kind of music, you trying to watch those kind of rated R movies that are just so licentious, they're showing those sex scenes all the time, perversion is galore, those TV shows, Orange is the New Black, there's just going to be things that are going to really make you wanting to live for, for God hard. It's going to really make that hard. We're going to correct that. Then we're going to do what? Train it. We're going to train you in this and we're going to say, this is what it looks like. Come with me. Meet my wife. Come and see my family. Look at what God has given me. I had to wait for this. You can wait for this. Go and date only Christians. Only make friends with Christians that are females in this kind of way, you know. It's okay to have friends of multiple, you know, multiple girls that are your friends before you choose one girlfriend because then you can get to know different girls, you know, and how girls are. But there's nothing sexual. There's no hooking up. It's just you have friends. When I was a single guy and I was ready to start dating, I started having multiple friends in the church that I felt more comfortable with. But I guarded my heart, okay? Some may be like the way I was before that, which I didn't have any real girlfriends because I wanted to stay as far away as I could because I didn't know how to have a girlfriend without hooking up with them. 
That's part of training. And then what are we going to do? We're going to come alongside of the Christian millennial and we're going to encourage them. Just like we have with two of you who are now married and you have your, your first son and you're starting off life exactly the way God designed sexuality to be. And I got to do uh, both of your weddings and it was an honor and that's what it looks like. How do you think Susanna Wesley, as I talked about yesterday, if you were there in the second service and she lost... Um, uh, she lost uh, 18, no, no, she had uh, 19 children and only seven made it to her, her burial. She lost 12 children. How do you think Susanna Wesley had 19 children in her life? Because she started young, 16, 17, he was maybe 19, 20. Even then, I think she was a little bit older than that, but I don't know. You know, it's just, you know, right around that age, and you live in a rural community, there's not much to do, make babies, you know, had more babies, you know, farm the fields, whatever. Well, well, that's the point, is that that's what you were meant to do. So, so those of you who struggle at times, and I'll encourage you, all of you right now, and you're in your 20s and you're struggling with, with your hormones and stuff, that's natural. Uh, let God give you peace in his presence, but it's because you are at the sexual peak of your life. You are meant to reproduce. You are meant to have that in your life. And so if you discipline yourself with the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives you the, the power of self-discipline and self-control, God will bring you to the right person. Amen? And then the, uh, the last one, lack of biblical doctrines. Well, it follows the same path. Let's just use the, the teaching of the Trinity. So, oh, let's just talk about the teaching of... of um, our identity in Christ. Let's make that more applicable to us here. So we start off by showing them. When you were born again, your nature changed. And you explain this to them. You teach it to them with patience and careful instruction. So who are you now? Are you a sinner or are you a saint? A saint. And you show them in the Bible. What did Paul call the people that he pastored in his church? He said saints. What did Jesus say? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Are, are, are you in the image of God right now? Yes, you are. Are you holy as he is holy? So we're going to teach you that. Rebuke. What are we going to rebuke according to that? That false thinking that keeps saying, well, nobody's perfect and we're all messed up and these are just my problems and don't judge me. We're going to say, no, 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 no. We're not doing things to be perfect. We're not doing good things to be made perfect. We're doing good things because we've been perfected in Christ. We're not trying to do, 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 do. We are who God says we are, and we be, 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 be. And if you have a lot of do-do, what happens? It starts to smell and stink, right? Don't try to do religion. Be in a relationship with Jesus as his son or daughter and let him conform you and believe that he has to the image of Christ and let your mind take on that thinking. Be transformed in the way you think, amen? So rebuke it, and then we correct it. So maybe they come to you and they go, you know, oh, man, I just feel like it's too hard sometimes, you know, to not want to lose my temper and this and that because, you know, in my family, my parents would curse every time they got mad, and that's just the way I am. We're Italians. We're like this or whatever. And you go, no, hold on, hold on. It's not a rebuke, but it's a correction now, right? You go, hold on. But that's not who God made you, right? You are no longer male, female, Scythian free, uh, slave free, Scythian barbarian, Jew, Gentile. No, no. We are all in Christ now, all one in Christ. The old you has died and the new you is alive. The life that you now live is in Christ. Identify with Christ your brother. He came to be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's your family now. That's where you come from. Talk like Jesus. React to things like Jesus. And then what do you do? You train them. Once again, I think of training, calling alongside of uh, people alongside of you and tutor, tutoring them. That's how I think of training. A trainer comes to mind. Everybody with me on that? So the training is really you opening up your life saying, come follow me as I follow Christ. 
And whenever you mess up in front of them, what do you do? You show them repentance. So I go to the post office with one of the young disciples I'm training, and he watches me lose my temper. I go back in and apologize and say, that wasn't right. Can you accuse me now of being a hypocrite? No. Because when I didn't act like the new me and didn't do what Christ perfected in me and made me holy to do, when I didn't do that, I repented of it, no excuse, and went on in grace. Amen? And then we encourage them. We encourage them. Man, I'm seeing so many things in your life. I can see that now out of your identity, you're having maturity. Praise God. Let's keep going on this path. Keep serving the Lord this way. I want to encourage you. I want to give you courage to take on these other challenges in your life. Don't let people discourage you. This is who God made you to be. Now, once again, in, in all humility, have you guys seen this done in this church with millennials? Isn't that what happens? This is exactly what happens. They're saved and discipled. They're brought to the moral standard of the Bible, and the biblical doctrines and teachings are handed to them so that they now can reciprocate that to others. And so what ought we to do for the Christian, for the non-saved millennial? Preach to them. What do we do for the, unsaved, uh, the saved millennial? We do the same thing. We preach to them. One, we're preaching salvation. The other one, we're preaching the things of God and what salvation is and what it looks like. You could say in one sense you're preaching Acts, uh, I mean, um, Ephesians 2.8 to the lost. You know, by grace you're saved through faith. And you're preaching, uh, you're preaching Ephesians 2.10 to the believer. For you are created in Christ Jesus. To do, you are the workmanship of God, the handiwork of God, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Amen? And in one sense, this is going to be your ministry for the rest of your life. This is what you'll be doing, whether it's with millennials or not, millennials or not. But I pray that you find a heart for millennials to reach your peers, to not give up on them, to believe that God has a plan and a purpose for their life, to walk through these issues of their life with great patience, not small patience, great patience. Just as he said in the prior verses, there's a great number of false teachers we need to combat those great numbers of false teachers and worldviews with great patience and careful instruction. Amen. Let's close out this time in prayer. Uh, Joe B., would you get ready to shut her down, please? Thank you. Father, we thank you for this wonderful time, not only today but through these last three weeks. Uh, Lord, And we pray that you will save and disciple and empower with sound doctrine the millennials of this culture and around the world, Lord, that you would use uh, this largest population, especially here in the U.S., to bring forth a revival like we've never seen before, to see, God, your glory come to this earth, cover the nation as the waters cover the seas, God, and as, as they once were for wickedness, that they would be on fire for righteousness, and that, God, you would empower those even here in this Bible college and in SUM and in all around this nation, Christians to be disciples that make disciples, just like you did with your early church, Father. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen. Let's give it up for Jesus.